Welcome to Renegade Inc. So here is the new British University business model. Charge full price to students for their course and accommodation. Then only deliver around 15% of the course whilst restricting access to their digs. Now the masterstroke. Rebrand all of this as blended online learning and claim because COVID, there is no alternative. It's a massive money maker. But it's also an indication of how egregious the unholy trinity between money-obsessed chancellors, overpaid administrators and rent-seeking landlords has really become. Joining me to discuss how students have been treated during the pandemic, the National Outreach Coordinator for Pause or Pay UK, Ben Sir Robinson, and Net Tissick Eddy, uh, the founder of Queen Mary University Rent Strike. Welcome to you both. Ben, let's start with you. Uh, it's clear, people know intuitively, that um, students have had a really rough ride during this pandemic. Just explain the context that uh, students find themselves in now uh, and, and how this uh, 18 months have, has affected learning. So when the government first uh, went to lockdown, finally in March 2020, we were told to uh, go home and our campuses were closed. And that meant a whole entire rejigging of our programmes on our behalf and also the faculty and staff's behalf. Um, courses that require material outcomes um, rely on industry standards and uh, state-of-the-art facilities. Um, without those, the program, the courses are simply not what we applied or become indebted for. And the d difference there is that if you go home and you're doing online learning through Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you're not actually in a studio space touching products, touching physical objects mm -hmm. and learning that way. It's all hypothetical learning through a screen. Is that the division? That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it becomes speculative. Right. But, but you need access to, to those resources because you've paid for access to those resources. But actually what you're doing is sitting at home mm. talking about theory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in that context, um, there's just there's there's a huge divide in between your expectations and you know the final outcome. Uh, but obviously, this is an unprecedented situation, and so students were understanding of that. You know, it was it was very new for all of us, not just the university, but us as well. And so we were trying to grapple with it. But very soon, we understood that um, the universities were sort of working in behind the scenes without involving us in the conversation. And what were they doing behind the scenes? We don't know what they were doing behind the scenes. What did you intuitively think that they were doing or what did you sense that they were doing behind the scenes? Question is, how were they not working with you? Mm, they were trying to normalise the situation. They were trying to make it seem like everything was under control and that they were going to lower uh, the outcomes, expectations. So our, our sort of uh, matrix for grading would be um, lowered, um, adjusted to what we could and could not produce uh, within this situation. So they're denying you access to the products and the services that you need um, and the way of hedging that or offsetting that is going back to the testing bit and then lowering any of the criteria there. Exactly, but as, as a creative student because Pause or Pay is uh, focus on studio-based learners. Uh, so we, we're m mostly working with creative students, although we've, we've been in touch with 
other students in more academic universities because of the sort of wealth of knowledge that we've uh, we've gathered. But for studio-based learners, there's 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 three sort of vectors to consider in right. this situation. Uh, the first one is the social, and I think anyone who's uh, had to work from home throughout the pandemic will understand this. That working you know, moving away from a dedicated workspace into your home, you know, comes with huge challenges. So, so, you know, you might have children at home, you know, babies, young children, older children that you have to look, you know, look after uh, that, you know, that that creates this new environment where, where focusing is not so easy. You have, you've also got, you know, people living with abusive partners or, or you know, housemates, etc. that are also in difficult situations. And then you've got the dis uh, disabled students, you know, students with uh, learning dis disabilities mm. who suddenly uh, cannot rely on on the facilities that they once relied on to to carry out their work or a support network. Mm. So that's the first, the social. What's the second vector? The second one is um, the intellectual vector, which is quite it's quite important to, to to underline because that's that's the point where you're suddenly asked to to come up with ideas without any out exterior forces you're you're relying on one medium for your knowledge gathering uh, and that's online so you know it's learn, learning online is possible and it's been done before you know many students have uh, learned online before the pandemic so think here of online tutorials and uh, researching papers on Online, in online libraries, for but example. That doesn't remove the fact that you are operating in a vacuum, which is what you're getting at. Exactly, yeah. And what's the third vector? So we've had the social, we've had intellectual, the third one. The physical. Uh, the physical is, you know, in relation to the space and the material, um, the material that you're using to create your work, uh, because studio-based learners rely so heavily on material. So, mm. We've, you wouldn't believe the number of stories we've heard of students injuring themselves while trying to adapt to this, this situation. So obviously there is a will to adjust and adapt and our tutors have encouraged us to you know, make do and, uh, and you know, make something out of nothing, etc. So, so by doing that, you've got, you've got a situation where people are asked to turn their bedrooms into ceramic studios, painting <laughs> studios, uh, photography dark rooms, wood workshops, that's just impossible. You can't do that. And, you know, people will undeny that, that it comes with a health and safety issue of, you know, people trying to experiment with things which are not okay to do in a home setting. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, how have the universities then reacted to the demands, uh, your demands, pause or play? Firstly, what are your demands? And secondly, what have been the university's reaction to it? Because I think what we've gathered from what you're saying here is you can't just transpose studio-based learning, put it in a domestic environment, mm. then um, I was going to say, um, uh, anyway, adjust is probably a most diplomatic way of saying the um, exam criteria mm. and saying, don't worry, we'll normalise this, it'll all be fine. So what have your demands been and what have been the reaction to the demands? Well, the, it first started with a hashtag that MA students from the Royal, Royal College of Arts in London, uh, it went viral. It was essentially, they, they were asking uh, the senior management teams of their school to 
uh, include them in the conversation of you know how to how to adjust to this situation um, and then that blew up it, it, it sort of spilled over to uh, CSM students Central St Martins yeah. and then it went over to Glasgow School of Art and then suddenly it was a national movement and a national campaign and what were but the demands from that movement the de demands were essentially pause the the, the courses and allow for students to defer their year without any consequences to their visa statuses, um, their academic track records, uh, and their financial situation. So, a lot, you know, when you're pausing your studies, you then forego the student loans. Uh, and in a pandemic, you can't just pick up bar work. You know, you can't pick up a shift anywhere. So, right. so if you were to stop studying at that time, you would lose everything. Uh, so, so there, there, there was, it's quite a complex and layered uh, uh, demand in itself. The second one is pay um, to refund the course. If you're not going to allow us to, which they didn't, allow us to pause our studies, then you should um, refund us for the lost time. Instead of just normalising the situation and keeping hold of that money. Mm -hmm. Have there been any examples across the world um, where uh, universities have paused or reimbursed? Uh, so we're... Mostly, well, actually, if that question itself hits an ideological nerve, because when you begin to start talking about reimbursement, you're accepting that fees is the sort of status quo. And we don't believe at Pause of Pay that paying fees is necessary or should happen. Uh, so ah. we're, we're talking about, when we talk about the future of education, the future of, of education is free. And you, you've got to just look at our, you know, most of our European neighbors. A lot of the higher education in Europe is free. Like we, we've, we've focused predominantly on the UK uh, because that's, that's where our group is. Even though we've had conversations with people abroad, um, no, there hasn't, there hasn't really been okay. cases, uh, but there has been individual cases of students being quite successful um, going through the um, official complaint procedure, which is an internal procedure uh, within the university. So it, it's been very quiet. It's ha it has happened in, you know, very individually, and it, they've made sure to keep it very quiet when it has happened because they're all obviously scared of the precedent it might set. You know, if, if one university decides to reimburse their students, it's all gonna, you know, there's gonna be a domino effect and it'll, the whole system's gonna fall like a house of cards. Nat Tusikadi uh, from Queen Mary University Rent Strike. It's not just the ideological aspect around fees here, is it? Because when you really think about it, uh, rent, when piled on top of fees, it's not exactly a propitious start for students, is it? Generations coming before haven't had the double whammy of, of fees and massive rent. You went uh, about your business to try uh, and enact and enact a rent strike. Just talk us through why you did that and how successful it was. Yeah, so um, before the year began in September, um, our university contacted first-year students, convincing them to come to campus with the promise of a blended learning approach where some classes would be online, some classes will be in person. What actually happened is that for the majority of students, everything was online. So it was very clear that they just wanted students to come to campus so they can pay rent, so they can justify paying rent for their halls. So initially we got together as an organizing group just to see what we can do about the pandemic. And what, when we saw what happened um, at Manchester, University of Manchester, where students occupied a building and, decide, and um, started a rent strike, 
we thought it was um, a good idea to do a rent strike of our own because it was so clear to see how the university was essentially treating students as cash cows. And on top of that, we had students living on campus with living in really poor conditions. I'm talking about rodents, mold, um, leaking, flooding. We had one student who lost hundreds of pounds um, because her clothes were damaged by mold that was coming out of her flat. So this and um, we, we figured that the only way that the university would listen to us is if we withheld if we withheld money that they care about so much. So yes, we started the rent strike in January and managed to get over 350 students to sign up. And um, the campaign started off really well because um, not long after we started, um, the 30% uh, um, discount on rent was offered. But that already presented a, a challenge because the university was already pressuring students to take the offer by some arbitrary deadline that they set. And on top of that, they only um, offered the 30% discount to undergraduate students, not postgraduate students. Right. So there we were like um, trying to we were trying to we were trying to fight this offer that was clearly not enough. And unfortunately, um, the university um, ignored almost all of our requests just to meet with management because we were acting in good faith. We would we were trying to push the university mm -hmm. to essentially do what's right for the students. We don't, we don't believe we were asking for much. So, um, yeah, on, we saw um, through st statistics that um, on average, students spent one billion pounds on unused accommodation, which is why we thought it was fair to receive, receive discounts, receive rebates. And um, for, for the future, we believe, we believe that students should be allowed to leave their contracts without a penalty. It's just so frustrating how universities, and I'm not just talking about mine, because we organised as a network of universities where over 50 universities joined. The universities, they would make decisions um, un under a falsehood of helping us. You, why would you make these decisions without actually consulting the students, consulting the people that have been affected so badly by this pandemic? Ben Dusser, Robinson and Nat uh, Tisikadi, uh, welcome back to Renegade Inc. Strikes me during that first half, um, we've fleshed out the problems and a lot of people watching will think, uh, they'll empathise with students having to go through this. Of course, no one foresaw the pandemic, but uh, the reaction that universities have had to the pandemic, what you're getting at is that they've normalised it. Uh, and what you're, you're getting at is they've gone about their financial business in exactly the same way. People will empathise with that and say, no, that's wrong. Let's just um, look at why that's been the case. If you look at, um, for instance, pay in universities. Now, if you look at a lot of the top brass, they're on mega salaries. And also, this is, comes part and parcel with uh, the marketization of universities. So students aren't students anymore. Actually, they're customers. Just talk a little bit about this uh, and what your experiences of that departure has been. Well, I would say, um, quite frankly, it was quite appalling to just see the, I would suppose, imbalance um, that's been like, that's come to light um, due to the pandemic. For instance, we have our um, principal, Hi Colin, by the way, um, who's on 300k a year and doesn't pay any rent. 
yet he is presiding over our university trying to um, squeeze rent out of students who can't even use their room. Furthermore, we've also been working with um, uh, QM, UCU and Unison, um, the unions associated with our university, who've been fighting for um, um, employees at the university who are at risk of losing their jobs or like having cut hours because of the pandemic. And it's just, it's just quite um, frustrating to see how the people at the top are completely fine, whilst the rest of us are just struggling and fighting just to be um, treated fairly. I don't know who Colin is, but I'm sure he'd be oh, very... Oh yeah, Colin Bailey, Queen yeah. Mary of Principle, yeah. Got you. Uh, I'm sure he'd be very happy with the mention. Um, <laughs> uh, he doesn't pay any rent. Are you just certain about that? Yes. The uh, university provides housing for him. How did this rent strike end? Obviously the university knows that they've got a massive problem on their hands. How did it end? So the rent strike ended with the university refusing to give the discounts that we won to strike participants. Mm -hmm. And this is because um, they don't want rent striking to be set as a precedent as a form of protesting against universities, which is what they told our SU. Now, is there not massive hypocrisy here, uh, especially from a generation of people who didn't pay uh, tuition fees at university? Isn't there massive hypocrisy here? Yeah. We've seen how shaky the grandest they are standing on really is throughout this whole period of time. So we've actually, you know, groups like Puzzle Pay, Groups like um, rent strikers across the UK have put a lot of pressure on these people, these people within you know, senior management roles, vice chancellors and the likes. Um, and uh, we, we know that they've been in conversation with each other. We know that for certain. And we know that they have been sort of holding out on you know, giving into our demands or even having the conversations, opening up the rooms of discussion. The way it's functioning, the way we've understood it to function, it's, it's very simple, you know, it's, it's a neoliberal system of management whereby there's no one to take the blame and no one to answer for when it comes to these difficult situations. So it's like, you know, you, you, ask, you ask about the, 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 you know, these potential conversations that we've had with our senior management teams. They, the few of us who managed to have meetings with them were told, we've got no money. The neoliberalisation model that's infected university, university learning, the learning experience, has also changed the face of universities. In his book, um, The Talent Code, a man called Coyle writes about uh, what he calls chicken wire Harvards. And chicken wire Harvards are where great talents can go and the facilities aren't amazing, but they are adequate. But it does mean that uh, then people aren't distracted by the flashing lights of wonderful state-of-the-art, they can actually do the work in a more humble environment. Has too much capital been spent on campuses to make them look sort of shiny? Absolutely. I mean, you just have to take a look at the Central St. Martin's uh, campus in King's Cross. Um, it, the, the building itself houses bougie cafes and restaurants. It's got this huge, shiny uh, water feature fountain in front of it. Um, it's huge amounts of capital have been invested in commercial outlets all around that area. Um, it, it just doesn't really represent uh, an art school anymore. So you, you really have to ask yourself, how far can this system of higher education really go? It, there's actually a quite an interesting uh, uh, fi figure stat that's come out recently out of uh, a survey done by the uh, Institute of, of 
economic affairs, which shows that 73% of young people uh, are actually quite favorable of socialism and, uh, and don't really agree with capitalism anymore. So that tells me that the next generation of students probably won't want to subscribe to this mode of learning. They, 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 they just want to get on and get on with the learning and just be in a space which accommodates their creativity in some way. These students don't want the bells and whistles anymore. What yeah. they want are practical spaces, humble spaces that allow them to uh, express their talent. But the neoliberal investor, the neoliberal dean, the neoliberal uh, stakeholder, shareholder, whatever you want to say, would come with the argument, they've never had it so good. When I were a lad, we had outside loos and I know all that stuff. And now they've got bougie, as you put it, bougie cafes, they've got thing. The point is the students don't want these. True or false? I, I mean, yeah, of course they don't want it because if they're, if they're going to try and say, oh, you've never had it so good. I, I highly doubt that students back then were in this much debt. I highly doubt that students back then were paying so much rent for places that they can't even use. I don't want a massive water feature built on campus when we've got, <laughs> when, when we've got students dealing with mold and rats. Are you joking me? <laughs> right. I think it's just, I think it's ridiculous. Like it's just smoke and mirrors to try and hide the fact that there needs to be, the capital needs to be invested into the students and you need to stop exploiting students as well. You can almost hear the neoliberals going, you're a radical Marxist. What's wrong with, what's wrong with water features? Right. I think that's, that's also such an issue where when we're asking for just a basic standard of living, that's going to be painted as like radical Marxism. It's just this annoying culture war that's been created because of um, just students wanting, students deserving better and wanting better than what we're currently being given. The beauty about neoliberalism, and I say beauty in, in an ironic uh, or, or sarcastic kind of way, is its formlessness. Very, very difficult to attack this system because it's like stacking jellyfish, right? Yeah. You attack this little bit and you can't get there because we haven't got the answers. You've got to go to the, around the thing to this block because she's going to deal with this. Then. How have you been able to get some traction to say, no, no, this is it. We don't want you dissembling anymore, deflecting anymore. These are our demands. This is what we need. We've had enough of the marketization of education. I guess the, the main point is the fact that we withheld so much money that that's what's forced them to listen to us. Because yeah, when you look at the structure of neo neoliberalism, they just, they care so much about money. And I would say another, another um, way that we've also managed to, you know, um, get them to like pay attention is thanks to press, because they weren't listening to us, but universities, they care more about their image more than a lot of things. So like getting, getting the press involved and having community support, getting MPs to show, publicly show support, that's what's been um, a, a successful tactic. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, you know, everyone loves a protest. We could have gotten everyone together and protest on campus, but we had to find, um, I guess, get more creative ways of like uh, putting pressure on the university um, by organizing like online demonstrations and, um, you know, uh, getting press attention. Uh, if we turn it on its head then, the pandemic for you guys, you've taken some short-term pain, no doubt about that. But it's been quite a good thing because you've been trailblazers to uh, get people to ask fundamental questions about the marketization of education. 
So actually, uh, you're in a position now where the pandemic has expediated. It was, this was going to happen anyway. Mm. This has ripped the plaster off a lot quicker. And now these conversations are a lot more live. Mm. What can people do to start pushing these conversations on and get uh, university back to where it was, which is a place of learning instead of a uh, you know, client-customer uh, relationship? Mm. So mobilize, organize. Um, you know, I'd say join a union, but our student unions are not doing the job that they mm. uh, are, have been set up to do. They, are, they, they, they haven't supported, some have, there's been individual cases. Why aren't not... they doing their job? Uh, because they seem to just sort of pander to the senior management of yeah, universities. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. That's That's been the main issue with our student union. Mm. And in our final meeting with them, once um, we ended the strike, that's what they told us. They um, were concerned about keeping their seat at the table, but at what cost, mm. you know, at the cost of failing the students that they were meant to represent. Mm. So, yeah, there needs to be um, an overhaul of what student unions are supposed to do for their students, because like like you just said, they um, are far too concerned with their like, I mean, again, not every student union, but I'm speaking more about my one at this point. They were far too concerned with their relationship with the university and management that they did not do enough to support the rent strike. A rent strike that was representing, that represented every student that has been exploited and treated badly by universities because of the pandemic. People watching this who've suffered uh, silently, often in isolation, hearing what you've got to say uh, and thinking, that's my experience too. What do you say to them? What do you say to those students? What should they do to take action to try and sort this situation out? I say mobilise and organise with fellow students because I will, I will say with certainty that every university in this country has been made aware of the tactics and the actions of universities and their management. So I, have, I would urge you, urge you to um, start, start organising together to hold your university accountable. So what we plan on doing, although the rent strike is over, it's definitely not the end. We're going to set up a renters union and we're going to continue as a grassroots organisation by the students, for the students, because unfortunately the university's actions and the SU's um, inaction, which, which would be a better word, has um, created a need for this space. And we will continue to hold the university to account and we will continue to expose any wrongdoings that are done to students. Ben Dessa Robinson, uh, Net Tisagedi, thank you both very much for your time. Thank you I very much. It. Thank you.